1: On this episode of Newt's World, Ukraine's most popular comedic actor was an unlikely president of his country. And now, even more improbably, Vladimir Zelensky has become the world's most celebrated statesman. Who is he? How did he become the international hero of our time? There's a new book, Zelensky, the Unlikely Ukrainian Hero Who Defied Putin and United the World which offers a compelling account of this fascinating leader. No one has been more surprised by Zelensky's power to inspire and mobilize Ukraine and the world than Vladimir Putin. So we have here to talk about the Zelensky, Putin, and the entire pattern that we can expect. Somebody who's really an expert on both sides of that, because she's written a great book, Putin's playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America. And she wrote the foreword, a brand new book, Zelensky, The Unlikely Ukrainian Hero Who Defied Putin and United the World, which is written by Andrew Urban and Chris McLeod. But Rebecca Koffler has a terrific background. She's a Russian-born U.S. intelligence expert. She worked with the Defense Intelligence Agency and the Central Intelligence Agency's National Clandestine Service. So she speaks from a kind of personal knowledge that's very different than a purely academic background first of all i just want to say rebecca welcome back to newt's world thank you for joining me
2: thank you very much Mister Speak. i am so delighted to be here with you and your audience today
1: We last spoke in December, and I want to remind all of our listeners, if they haven't heard that particular podcast where we talked about your book, Putin's Playbook, it's really worth them going back and listening to that because it creates a great background in which to think about the current Russia-Ukraine situation. It just strikes me that you have a very unique view on all of this. And so I want to ask you a broad general question, first of all. Are you surprised by the relative effectiveness of the Ukrainians in not allowing the Russians to get into Kiev in three days, as apparently both the American chairman of the Joint Chiefs and Putin thought would happen.
2: I'm very surprised, Mr. Speaker. Putin clearly has miscalculated both the Russian military's tactical competence as well as the Ukrainian military's tactical brilliance, if you will. It's not without the U.S. help. And also Putin miscalculated just the ferocious spirit of Zelensky as the leader and his ability to galvanize his people to fight against Russia.
1: You know, I think to put this in context, and I have to confess that the Russians have performed much less competently than I thought they would. But just to give people a sense of context, in evaluating the 142 countries that have serious armed forces capable of battle, Russia ranked number two. Ukraine ranked number 34. Ukraine's annual military spending is put at about $5.4 billion in American money, about 3% of their gross domestic product. Russia's is put at $61.7 billion of their larger economy, about 4.3% of their economy. So you have two establishments, one spending $62 billion a year, the other spending about $5 billion a year. Ukraine's active military personnel was estimated at 255,000. Russia's was at 1,154,000. So basically more than four times the size of the Ukraine. Russia had 2,750 tanks that were ready with another 18,000 in storage. Ukraine had about 1,150 tanks, so a little better than a two-to-one advantage for the Russians. The Russians had about 400 combat helicopters, Ukraine had 139, so about a three-to-one advantage. When you just look at the quantitative size of this, Rebecca, I mean, don't you suspect that our intelligence service and virtually every intelligence service had a sense that by just sheer mass, the Russians would win pretty dramatically?
2: Yes, absolutely. All Western intelligence services, most intelligence services, were surprised. We miscalculated too. But the truth is, Mr. Speaker, weaponry and technology do not win wars. And we've learned that in Afghanistan. After 20 years, $2.2 trillion and and 6,000 lives lost, we still had to withdraw. And we have superior military capability. We have the best warfighting force in military history, right? And so the Russians... Are Obviously, by invading Ukraine, its brother Slavic nation, I think Putin completely underestimated how the brother on brother Slav, you know, you have to be a butcher to commit atrocities that he's committing. And this is why he invited the Wagner Group and the Kandirovcy to do the job.
1: You know, after Putin's behavior in Chechnya, the destruction of Grozny in the late 90s, and then the behavior they've had in Syria. Are you surprised by how ruthless they've been, or does this sort of fit what you thought they were capable of?
2: So I definitely thought that they are capable of, and in fact, targeting civilians, maternity hospitals, women, children, is part of Putin's military strategy which is completely unconscionable. But this is how the Russians fight. The objective basically is to dislodge the opponent psychologically and to put the pressure on Zelensky to abandon the fight in order to stop the suffering. But Zelensky has not really budged. It looks like he has decided that he would rather have his country wiped off the map by the madman Putin Putin then give an inch. He just stated that he's not trading territory and he's not trading people. So currently the positions of Russia and Ukraine are irreconcilable. And these two have personal animosity. So they're strong, stubborn with an element of narcissism. So neither one of them wants to give up this fight.
1: In that context, I did have a feeling about two weeks ago watching him that Zelensky had been kind of worn down by just the sheer brutality of what he was seeing happen to the Ukrainian people. And there was a brief period where he was almost begging for a negotiation. And then I think he must have reached a conclusion that it just isn't going to happen. There was no reasonable possibility of an agreement with Russia that would have Ukraine survive. But It must be excruciating to be the leader of a country and not be able to protect your people and see the kind of mass killings, and also this almost virtual slavery of taking several hundred thousand Ukrainians into Russia in a way that we really haven't seen since the late 1940s. I just read a note by somebody who said their entire family had been taken. They didn't know where they were. They'd been shipped into Siberia, and they were totally out of touch with them, This is a level of abducting human beings that, at least in the European part of the world, we haven't seen since World War II. Don't you think that's so clearly grotesque that even Putin's advisors must realize how much the world is going to be appalled and ultimately reject the Russian model?
2: Yes, my heart goes out to Ukrainians, to Zelensky, his family. He's been hunted by Putin's hit squad, the Wagner Group, the Kadyrovtsy. Putin wants to have him assassinated. Yes, it is completely unconscionable what Putin has done. It's very Stalinesque. Remember how he recently just held a rally where he basically appealed to the Russian people to rat out the... So-called fifth column is basically he's going back to the red terror times. The Russian people are just as terrorized by Putin as the Ukrainian people. And yes, this man is going to become the pariah. In fact, he is a pariah. He has joined the likes of North Korean Kim Jong-un and the rest of the butchers of the world, Russia is entering a completely different stage where in the international relations sphere, where it's going to be isolated, it's under sanctions, the economy is going to be devastated. So it's a mess. The thing that concerns me the most, Mr. Speaker, is the impact of what's going on on our country, because that is also not to be underestimated.
1: Expand on that. What do you mean?
2: Oh, sure. So, when I wrote the book, in which I included a whole chapter on Putin's nuclear warfare doctrine, I got a lot of skeptical feedback. But right now, the possibility of Putin using nuclear weapons in Ukraine as part of his escalate to de escalate strategy is becoming normalized. You know, Zelensky himself has warned us recently, as did the CIA. Director, and the entire Russian government security apparatus has been signaling that Russia is entering the total war phase, and that is a concern to me because clearly after Putin has been designated at least you know verbally and whether it's the slip of the tongue or intentional. Putin heard it loud and clear. He understands that there's no off-ramp for him. And so my concern is if the Russian intelligence services perceive, whether it's true or not, but if they decide that U.S. NATO is about to intervene, Putin's nuclear warfare doctrine to de-escalate conflict in Ukraine is on the table. And at that point, no one really knows where it can escalate into. It could just simply get out of control. And that's the thing that worries me the most.
1: To reinforce what you just said, I mean, Zelensky did say the other day, and I'm quoting him, we shouldn't wait for the moment when Russia decides to use nuclear weapons. We must prepare for that. At the same time, William Burns, the director of the CIA, said during a question-and-answer session, quote, given the potential desperation of President Putin and the Russian leadership, given the setbacks that they've faced so far militarily, none of us can take lightly the threat posed by a potential resort to tactical nuclear weapons or low-yield nuclear weapons. It raises two different questions in my mind. One is, with the new general that they just brought back from Syria, who Became famous for his ruthlessness and his viciousness and his willingness to kill civilians in Syria, although the Russians had already been doing a lot of it. But it did make me wonder to what extent the next phase of this war was going to become even more brutal and even bloodier than anything we had seen up till now. And from your perspective, I mean, is the Grozny and Syrian experiences something we should take seriously as a model that might well be applied in Ukraine?
2: Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. I had the same reaction when Alexander Dvornikov was appointed to take command over the Russian forces by Putin. This man knows the terrain in Donbass. This man is known for having used chemical weapons. And the Russians, like I said, have been signaling that WMD employment whether it's nuclear or chemical, is on the table. They have it in their doctrine, not just nuclear, but chemical weapons use. Of course, they're trying to obfuscate this as defensive, right? But yes, they do have such capability. And in fact, my analysis is that Russia has already used chemical warfare in Ukraine in an asymmetric way no they did not use chemical weapons but by striking that chemical plant in Sumy and creating an ammonia leak this amounts in my view to chemical warfare and so they have crossed already several thresholds and they're clearly signaling Putin had another signal for us today Russia test fired a nuclear-capable, heavy, liquid-fuel ICBM missile called Sarmat, RS-28, which the Western Intelligence Services dubbed as Satan II. This is a great significance, sir, because this specific missile system is very versatile. It has about 10 to 15 various types of warheads. And also, it's reportedly capable of penetrating U.S. missile defenses. So Putin is signaling, yes, of course, they are concerned about using nuclear weapons in Ukraine. They're concerned about our reactions. And so he's signaling to us, OK, if conflict escalates into the Russia-U.S. nuclear exchange, then we have this capability that reportedly has no match. I can't confirm whether the United States has it or not. But the Russians believe that we don't have it. And that's what they base their decision-making on.
0: Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today.
1: I've always been a strong believer in the importance of investing wisely. That's why I've personally invested in Legacy Precious Metals. At Legacy Precious Metals, they're not leaving your financial future to chance. They're on a mission to help you secure your financial future post-retirement. In partnership with them, I'm thrilled to announce the launch of the Newt Gingrich Contract with America Coin. This limited edition coin is made of one ounce of 99.99% fine silver, commemorating the historic moment when, against all odds, we balanced the budget for the last time in U.S. history. This coin isn't just an investment. It's a piece of our nation's history. And now you can own it. As the holiday season approaches, it's the perfect gift. You can purchase yours today by calling 866-484-4043. That's 484 4043 or order online at Newt GingrichSilverCoin.com. That's Newt com.
2: Martha Stewart, the
0: original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. But the six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner. The rise, the fall. And the reinvention of an American icon.
2: Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series,
1: The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max.
0: Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call.
1: At one level, part of what's terrifying about all that is you don't need really sophisticated rockets if you can simply deliver hydrogen bombs over cities. And as city-killing systems, we and the Russians and the Chinese are all capable of dramatically changing the course of civilization in about 30 minutes. And I noticed that just before they invaded Ukraine, they actually went through a series of seven different nuclear scenarios that Putin engaged in personally as a preparation. On the one level, he's running a bluff and saying, look, I have all this stuff, so you better be careful how you deal with me. On the other hand, they do have, as you point out, a doctrine. It's ironically different from ours in that we made a decision about 20 or 25 years ago to get rid of all of the small tactical nuclear capabilities because we wanted to create a threshold. The Russians went in the opposite direction. And then they, in a sense, have a natural transition from large artillery towards small nuclear weapons. And in their doctrine, it would not be at all implausible for them, for example, on this steel mill, which has been resisting, which really reminded me a lot of the fighting in Stalingrad in 42-43, where the ability of the Soviets to hide in these huge old industrial facilities and made them almost impossible for the Germans to take them out. Well, the Ukrainians have done the same thing. They've gotten steel mill, which at least up until today has been astonishing as a strong point and has just absorbed Russian attacks and I suspect caused a pretty large number of Russian casualties. You can imagine that there's a logic on the Russian side to use a tactical weapon to eliminate that in a way that would cross a real threshold. And from your perspective, having served in the U.S. government in two of our key intelligence communities, what is your hunch our reaction would be if Putin did, in fact, cross the nuclear threshold?
2: So it's hard to estimate our reaction, Mr. Speaker, because... Unlike Russia, the United States follows the laws of armed conflict. And since we are not active combatants, the United States or NATO, to this conflict, if Putin decides to detonate a tactical nuclear weapon in Ukraine we cannot legally intervene, or if they use chemical weapons for that matter. Unlike what President Joe Biden said recently, we will respond in kind. Clearly, this was either confusion or a slip of the tongue. So it's hard to predict, sir, what we would do, perhaps, you know, a cyber attack. But again, we are much more dependent on our cyber capabilities in IT and technology than the Russians are. And the Russians have formidable cyber capability. And we've seen them recently with the ransomware attacks on JBS, meat processing plants, the Colonial Pipeline. My concern is that we don't have a plan, okay? And it's very obvious, sir, that our community, despite having unambiguous intelligence, what Putin's plans were, at least for the past 10 years and possibly even 20, he never made it a secret, we never developed a deterrent strategy. The one that we had during the former President Ronald Reagan times, The community never developed any kind of viable plan to out-escalate Putin, and we are constantly in the responsive mode instead of preemptive mode, and we put all of our eggs in the sanctions basket that Joe Biden himself admitted were never even going to deter Putin. It's a mess. We need to get back on track with our own blue capability and blue strategy
1: it's fairly horrifying if you think about it. You know, one of the side notes, I just have to comment and get your reaction. Zelensky, who had created a television show about a comedian who was a reformer who ended up as president of the country and then ended up running for president of the country during a period when the previous president was pretty widely considered remarkably corrupt even by Ukrainian standards. And then he won that election by a huge margin, but he had sort of declined for a period there, was down to about 31% approval back in December. But within two weeks of the Russian invasion, he was up above 90% approval. And I couldn't help but think about that Zelensky's background and his ability to use communications media as a comedian has a parallel in Reagan. People often forget that Reagan had made two movies with chimpanzees, and that Reagan, in fact, had done a fair amount of light comedy, as well as Westerns and other kinds of movies. But both Zelensky and Reagan brought to the international competition an understanding of media that is astonishing. And people had spoken a long time about how much the Russians have invested in using media and in trying to wage media campaigns. But it seems to me that Zelensky has simply run circles around Putin and that by any plausible standard, Zelensky has won the communications war up till now.
2: Oh, I agree with you. So 100 percent, Zelensky has completely upstaged Putin in the information warfare department. He has been playing the social media like a maestro, you know, leading a concert on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, like a conductor basically directing his orchestra. Remember, that's how he won the presidency. He rejected traditional medium such as rallies, debates, What he did during his campaign, he was doing the same thing that he's doing now, putting out these tweets, putting out these videos. Remember, when he is right now speaking to these various Western audiences, whether it's U.S. Congress, British Parliament, you know, other big platforms, he puts translators to tears right by his language, invoking emotions by videos. He mesmerized the entire Western world. And that is because, in my view, he's a highly trained performer. He knows how to read the audience. You know, you said, President Ronald Reagan, I need to check out those movies. I've never watched them because, you know, I was born and raised in Russia, so I'm not familiar with those. I'm just looking forward, assuming they're still available. But yes, you nailed it there. Zelensky is a master communicator, despite Putin priding himself and Russia in being like a human relations expert. And now Zelensky upstaged him 100%.
0: so much fun oh and there's no comments or messaging so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks oh my friends love it i love that it's kid safe COPPA certified uh i don't know what that means it means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data uh, that's great but i wouldn't be doing zigazoo if it wasn't fun she would not be doing it if i didn't think her data was safe zigazoo The world's largest social network for kids. (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today.
1: Throughout history, there are clear moments that define our nation's path, and now you can own a piece of that history. I am thrilled to announce the Newt Gingrich contract with America Coin from Legacy Precious Metals. My limited edition one-ounce silver coin commemorates the historic victory in 1994, when the Republican Party, under my leadership, took control of Congress. The Newt Gingrich contract with America coin also symbolizes the transformative political platform that led to landmark achievements like the overhaul of the welfare system and the balanced budget act. This holiday season, give the gift of history. The Newt Gingrich contract with America coin is more than an investment, it's a tribute to honest government and to America. Available to order right now by calling 866-484 Four zero four three. That's eight six six four eight four four zero four three. Or order online at Newt dot com. That's Newt Gingrich dot com.
0: Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in, and we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app.
2: Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree.
1: Well, and that's why I thought it was great that you did the foreword for this new book, Zelensky, The Unlikely Ukrainian Hero Who Defied Putin and United the World. I was very struck. I watched his speech to the American Congress. I thought it was really effective. And I thought the video they had developed that they put right in the middle of his speech was extraordinarily compelling. And I think it moved the Congress and both parties, both Democrats and Republicans, moved to a lot more aggressive Pro Ukraine, anti Russian position based on his personal impact. I was very struck when they sank the flagship, the Moskva, in the Black Sea, which was, I thought, a tremendous blow to Putin to lose the number one ship in their Black Sea fleet and also had to send a signal, it was the second ship they'd lost, that they don't have control of the Black Sea. They have not been able to get air control. And in fact, the SA 300 surface-to-air missiles, have done a pretty good job of keeping the Russian pilots very worried about their own survival. A good friend of mine said to me, nobody is particularly excited about dying for Putin. There's a lot of people who are willing to die for Ukraine. And he said that's part of the reason you see both with the tanks and with the aircraft, that they don't engage very aggressively because they're looking around thinking, wait, why am I going to do this? And that Putin has not been able to win the internal propaganda war with his own people to convince them that this is a cause sufficiently strong, that they have to engage and they have to risk their lives. And in that context, do you think if they defeat this new offensive, which I think is very possible, the amount of equipment that's starting to arrive is massive and is better than what the Russians have, which has also been a big surprise. Their logistics is pathetic. Their training is not very good and their equipment has turned out to be not nearly as good as we thought it would be. And of course, the Eastern Europeans have now figured out this great new game. They will give Ukraine all of their semi-obsolete Russian equipment if we will agree to replace it with the most modern American equipment, which in a way for us helps solve both the Ukrainian problem and modernizes dramatically the ability of the Eastern Europeans to defend themselves against Russia. Do you think if this drags on and they continue to have the kind of one-sided losses and the Ukrainians continue to be as tactically clever as they've been up till now. Is there a point where Putin accepts defeat or is there a point where he escalates to chemical and nuclear weapons because of just sheer desperation?
2: I don't believe, sir, that Putin will accept defeat for two reasons. Number one, his psychological profile is such that he's incapable of accepting defeat. I had Putin evaluated by a psychiatrist, a U.S.-trained former Air Force officer who is a consultant for the CIA. This medical doctor evaluated our own nuclear missiles before they went to guard Our nukes and missile silos, that was when there was all this talk that Putin is irrational, he's mentally unstable, he's affected by COVID and all those things. So the assessment of the medical professional that I'm talking about was there are absolutely no mental anomalies in Putin. And the element of narcissism is clearly there. So Putin thinks that he is smarter than everyone else. Okay. So that's the first aspect, right? His psychological profile. And then second one is Putin believes he has no off-ramp. Even if we had one for him, he wouldn't have accepted it. But he also knows that there is no such offering because look at the rhetoric that's coming out of Washington. This man can no longer remain in power. He's a war criminal, and there are possibly proceedings to be started to try him for war crimes. He's genocidal. And then most recently, Democratic Senator from Delaware, Chris Coons, pretty much called on US and NATO to intervene implicitly. So no, a defeat is not acceptable. What Putin will likely do in my intelligence assessment is the following. He will turn it into a grinding, protracted conflict because as long as we provide support, just as you pointed out, Ukrainians will not be defeated. And especially with the $800 million military assistance that Joe Biden recently authorized, they are in good shape, Ukrainians. But if Putin turns it into a grinding conflict and eventually would transform it into what is known as a frozen conflict, that achieves his mission. Despite all the tactical incompetences, the strategic mission will be achieved, which is to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO. Because to join NATO, Ukraine must have territorial integrity and sovereignty and not have an active conflict. And by just grinding it out, Putin will have his goal achieved. That's my assessment.
1: So you would expect this war to go on for a good while?
2: For a very good while.
1: And do you think that the Russian elites are either willing to tolerate it or are helpless in the context of Putin's security systems?
2: I think it's both. The Russian state, the Russian culture is known for something called vertical, the power vertical. Putin is the man. He got elected four times. And in fact, his approval rating has skyrocketed since the beginning of his attack on Ukraine. It's at 83% right now. Let's just say some of it is due to fear, right? Because the Russian people are afraid. Still, even if let's say it's 62%, it's still, you know, any U.S. president can only dream of such ratings. So even though the Russians are not anti-war, they're pro Putin generally because he keeps the system going and the oligarchs depend on him. He depends on oligarchs, Siloviki, the security services. They're not about to remove Putin. And I just don't see it. And besides, sirs, you might remember from my book every single time Putin won in his four elections, the runner up was a communist. Think about who would come if Putin were slip on the banana peel or get hit by a bus.
1: So you think that the desire to put Ukraine in its place and potentially ultimately bring it back into Moscow's orbit probably is actually a pretty deep national feeling, not just Putin.
2: I actually do. I know the Russians don't want the annihilation or brother Slav Ukraine, right? But most Russians believe Ukraine is part of Russia, and at least the part that is called Novorossiya, the new Russia, the Donbass area, the Crimea. As someone who was actually born and raised there, cognitively, I myself can't wrap up my brain around Ukraine being Separate from Russia. Yes, I understand intellectually, you have to follow the international law. It's a new world now, and Ukraine is an independent country. But I'm like, how is that even possible? And that's how Russians think. It's a visceral level there.
1: So in a sense, it's reunifying the motherland and bringing back, both with Belarusia and with Ukraine, bringing back the lost children that belong to Moscow.
2: Exactly. He wants to be Catherine the Great, you know, and that's why he wrote that famous white paper, if you will, that Ukrainians and Russians are one people. He truly believes that. And it's not just him. There's a whole body of knowledge that supports this view and the whole, you know, Alexander Dugan, Eurasianism. That is where this is all coming from. And in terms of Belarus, Belarus is already part of the union, right? They already call it the union to the point where they have a joint military doctrine that Putin and Lukashenko both approved in November. And so Belarus adjusted its constitution to allow for the hosting of Russian nuclear forces on its territory. That's what it's giving me concern as well. Putin, he's a long term planner. And this is why I don't think he's just going to accept defeat because everything is wrapped up in this his legacy, his perception of Russia's national interest and security, everything is at stake. And that's why he feels like cornered like a rat and he's going to fight, you know, like that rodent that he described in his biography, there's a case that is described when he was chasing a rat. And then all of a sudden, when he chased it into a corner, the rat started attacking him. So this is why we see him potentially lashing out with nukes or with chemical weapons, because he's so desperate. And yet, he just can't give up. He can't climb off that tree that he got himself onto.
1: I want to thank you both for having written the foreword for Zelensky the unlikely Ukrainian hero who defied Putin and united the world, and for your book, Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America, which is certainly even more relevant now than was when we did the podcast about it back in December. So I thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your expertise, and your insights. And I think in this particular time, this is really helpful for you to come and share with us.
2: Thank you very much, Mr speaker. I am very grateful to you for having me on your podcast and hope we'll talk again soon.
1: Thank you to my guest, Rebecca Koffler. You get a link to the new book, Zelensky, The Unlikely Ukrainian Hero Who Defied Putin and United the World. And you also get a link to the great podcast we did back in December with Rebecca about her book, Putin's playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America, both on our show page at Newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan, our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newtsworld, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.